Today's episode of From the Rose Garden is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. I'm Damian Lillard, and you're listening to From the Rose Garden on the Athletic Podcast Network. Rep City! Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Both teams play hard. Welcome to this week's episode of From the Rose Garden. I'm your host, Dave DeFour. Jason Quick, still taking a little bit of time off, but in his place, the better half of the Blazer's Edge podcast, Tara Bowen Biggs. Hi. Hello, Dave. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to come on. I didn't even do it. It was Sasha's idea. You could have just stopped right there, Dave, and been like, hey, really glad to have you. Well, I thought Jason might might be back this week. And Sasha was like, you know what? Let's let's get Tara in here and let's uh, talk about Damian Lillard's shot. But first. Well, thank you, Sasha. (laughs) There you go. But first, uh, The Athletic is continuing our initiative to point out small businesses in the local areas that are still open and serving the public. And Tara, you had a couple for Portland. Yeah, over in uh, Northeast 42nd Street, there's two businesses that I go to regularly, even uh, during this pandemic time, because they are remaining open with uh, limited hours. And one of them even has a sort of a blazer connection. The first one is a bakery called Miss Zumstein, and they make incredible uh, cakes. And she's still open uh, just in the mornings from 8 to 12 on the weekends. And you can go by and say hi and get coffee and some like amazing, delicious pastries. And then right next door, there is a place called Biba Chamaru Kitchen. And it's actually uh, the food is from Guam. And when they opened, I immediately wanted to learn more about them because, as you may or may not know, uh, Coach Stotts spent some of his time when he was growing up in Guam. So I was like, "Ooh, I got to go check that place out. So they um, are also open on, I think they're Wednesdays uh, through Sundays. You can order online and it'll have everything ready for you to pick up. And if you want to know more about the food of Guam, I would definitely check it out. I have not seen Terry Stotts there, um, but I have seen in their Instagram feed that he has been there before. So I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm like, you know, spending a lot of time there watching for Terry Stotts, but I'm just saying it would be like really fortuitous if I happened to run into him. So, uh, wait, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Is he a Navy brat or Air Force brat? I believe uh, his parents were teachers. And oh, so yeah. for a time, they were teaching there. For uh, the Dodia. Before he came back in, uh, I think, like high, maybe later high school is when he came back. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Uh, I was a Dodds teacher in South Korea. So mm. there we go. I got something right to talk to Terry Stotts about. <laughs> we're all trying to bank our stuff to talk to tired stuff That's it. about the day um, we run into him. Okay, so we we just passed the one year anniversary of one of the biggest shots, or at least most memorable shots in NBA history. Uh, the the huge Damian Lillard. It, by the time like we're really really old, that's going to be a sixty foot shot when we tell the story. But it was what thirty five feet. Yeah, at least. Yeah, uh, thirty five foot shot. Over Paul George, that literally broke up 
a franchise. Um, why is this shot such a big deal? I mean, it, like, obviously, it's a buzzer beater. Obviously, it was a playoff game. But it just seems like this shot means so much to Portland fans. Well, first of all, I'm really glad that you specified which shot, because as you probably know, Damian Lillard has two very important series ending shots. And of course, you know, the the previous one was the one against Houston, which um, was, I think, what was that, 2014? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that was a super big deal because at the time the Blazers hadn't made it to the second round of the playoffs for many years. I think it was like 14 years. It was a big deal. He was super young, baby faced Dame. And, uh, you know, that shot was a broken play. It went in and boom, they went on and it was awesome. And, you know, who thought, you know, we would ever be lucky enough to have a second Damian Lillard shot. And um, I was actually asked by Dan Favelli from Z Bleacher Report about which shot I thought was more important to the franchise. And I chose the second one, the one in Oklahoma City, because to me, the shot in Houston, like kind of signaled that Damien had like arrived on the scene, like I'm here. But the shot against Oklahoma City, I think, was super significant because it showed it like defined who Damian Lillard is and his career up until that point and also into the future, because that shot was like totally deliberate. It was on purpose. He knew what he was doing. And it was against, you know, a team that was like the perfect team to do that against. And it was like he had planned the whole thing to create the narrative. And I'm not saying that like Damian Lillard thinks narrative is more important than winning or anything like that. But it just couldn't have been more perfect in terms of telling his story and who he is to this community. I'm all for a narrative as long as it coincides with winning. I I don't Mm -hmm. mind that. I actually do think that that shot for him was even more personal because of the whole thing with Russell Westbrook. Well, so there's that. And I think the th- really interesting thing about the o- this, the OKC shot is that often, like when you have a buzzer beater, like, you know, it's great and everything. And but it's usually not really actually about the shot. It's about the whole story around the shot. Like, look at Kawhi's shot, you know, the one that bounce, 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 bounce goes back in like that was that was exciting. But it was like it was just a shot that happened to be at the end of the series that took them on. But like Damian Lillard planned for this shot. He was swept by the Pelicans and then went back to the lab to figure out how he was going to overcome, you know, and change his game so that that could never happen to him again. And the shot that he took against Oklahoma City so far out was directly a result of all of that work that he did to get to that point. So I think this shot is Significant, not just because of the whole narrative surrounding it, but also because the shot itself was significant and on purpose. Yeah, and well, and it's funny to to consider that shot uh, an exclamation point on the incredible season he had last year when they wound up making the conference finals. Um, but it really was. I mean, it, he was in my mind. He was a top five MVP guy last year. Um, I, I think if they had if they had been you know, better as a team this year. Certainly he, he would have followed it up with a similar standing. Um, but it was last year was the first year that you could say Dame was a top 10 player in the league, could be the best player on a championship team, and no one could, could argue back. Mm-hmm. And then he, he hits that shot. It's what, I think it's one of the biggest shots in NBA history. And then we uh, obviously we got 
an iconic photo out of it. We actually got a couple. We got the one where they mobbed him and we got the wave. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, yeah, go ahead. There was there was so much going on that night in addition to the shot. I mean, the shot was like the culmination of it. But like like you were saying earlier, you know, the the battle with Russell Westbrook, you know, that had been going on the entire series, you know, the entire series. There had been a lot of talk on Oklahoma City side and a lot less talk from Portland side. Like they kind of clammed up once it came to uh, this series. So that was going on. And then, you know, in that particular game, Yusuf Nurkic showed up and. That was a whole separate storyline, which, you know, for him to be there, it was the first time we saw him after he broke his leg. He left his house at halftime to drive down and be there in the arena because, remember, the Blazers were losing and then they came from behind to win that. And for him to be in the arena when that happened, Damien to manufacture that shot just so perfectly, you know, his brother and sister to be the first people off the sideline because, you know, he's all about family. They were the first people to him. Then his team comes up and they have the pile on the ground. It was just it was just nuts in that arena for quite a long time. Why is it? It, it seems like Damian Lillard has the most personal relationship with the fan base of any player in the NBA. I mean, maybe Steph Curry is like close second. But with Dame, I mean, he's the only game in town. So why is it that this guy, I mean, he, he resonates with the fan base in a way that I, I don't, I think it's very unique. Mm -hmm. So why is that? Well, I think he's unique. I think there's just some people who have, uh, who have something. And like, I, people laugh at me all the time, but I'm like, Damian Lillard and Dolly Parton are two people who are absolutely who they say they are and so much more than the sum of all of their accomplishments. I think partly with Damien is like I've listened to probably just about every interview that he's done, you know, going back to before he was even in the league. I mean, I wasn't listening to him before he was in the league, but I went back because I wanted to know more about him because I found him so fascinating. And one of the things that I think people appreciate about him is how incredibly consistent he's been and everything that he said throughout his basketball career, um, everything that he said about wanting to make a go of it with the people that he's already with, um, you know, going back to his AAU teams and his, um, you know, his high school teams. And it was just always important for him that he be successful with the people that were around him. And you hear him talking over and over again about like he has this concept of like pouring into people. And I think that just really resonates with Portland because. Like you said, you know, um, there's not a lot of other sports in town. I mean, obviously, there there's some there's the, you know, the the men and the women's soccer teams. But really, um, you know, the Blazers are a huge part of our identity for a lot of us. And for him to be so all in and to insist over and over again how all in he is and then to be able to look back on his history of how he's been all in with everywhere else he's ever been. It just I think, you know. Having gone through LaMarcus Aldridge saying that he was going to retire a blazer and then leaving, I think it just means a lot to people for to be able to look back at, you know, historically how he has, you know, done everything that he said that he was going to do and to have him, can you know, still here and obviously pouring himself into this community, like while still managing to maintain his whole life and family in Oakland, too. It's 
he just seems to be able to do more than a normal human. <laughs> just, <laughs> he has more capacity to make others great while he too is also becoming great. How much do you think like being an under an underdog coming out of high school, going to a small college and then obviously going to Portland, which is a small market team, kind of an underdog team, can't spend the money that other teams can, or at least, I mean, I guess they could, but they don't. Um, How much do you think that that plays into how much buy-in he gets from Portland fans and how much he's bought into Portland? You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know him well enough. I just know that the actions that he takes are so sincere that maybe more than being like an underdog, he's just somebody who seems so uh connected and like likes to interact with people and likes to do best by people. And we just see him doing that over and over again. Like when he first came to town, he started four by Friday because he thought it would be a cool way to lift up other people. And I don't know if being an underdog, like because other people gave him an opportunity to, to be lifted up as well. And if he's trying to return things like that, or if that's just who he is as a person. Okay. So that huge shot, um, you know, Nurk was already hurt, came into this season, knew Nurk wasn't going to be back for a while. They lose Zach Collins right away. They lose Rodney Hood, and he, who was having like his best season. And somehow they were still almost in the playoffs. Like they were, they were probably not going to make it. I know that you might disagree with that. They were probably not going to make it, but they were close. They were within striking distance and all because of Damian Lillard. Now, you want to push back on my they weren't going to make the playoffs. I don't I don't think they were going to make the playoffs. You want me to talk now? Yes. yes I'm, <laughs> you, waiting. Okay. I'm waiting. So I'm already, uh, I mean, I'm, like I'm not flinching, like oh, waiting. I'm not like 100 percent convinced they were going to make it. But I've like I just we've been around Damian Lillard for so long that it's like you never say that it's not going to happen. And. You know, one of the things that's been most disappointing to me about the suspension of the league is um, not being able to see what happened when Yusuf Nurkic came back. And I think a few games of him back would have told us a lot because like how fast was he going to be able to come up to speed and be that person that, um, you know, could do all the things that weren't being done in his absence. Like with Damien, he obviously, you know, massively overperformed and did like all of these amazing things this year because he had to to, you know, keep people going. So just imagine like what he could have done if he'd had Yusuf Nurkic setting screens for him and Yusuf Nurkic on the pick and roll this year. So I really think that depending on how quickly Yusuf Nurkic would have been able to get back into the flow of things, um, then we would have had a better idea about whether or not they were really going to make it into the playoffs. Do you, do so I'm you, not saying no. Oh, okay. I'm not <laughs> saying 100% yes. I'm not, I'm, but I really, I don't think they were out of the picture at all. This is the only time I'm going to say this, but I, I wish Danny was here so that he could just say, listen, this is why we should have traded CJ McCollum and just tanked this year. Yeah, well, would you like to represent Danny and I'll push back or? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, feel free to push back on that. He, he can't, he's not here to defend himself, but I don't care. You know, I mean, after watching the 
the last, you know, last dance with uh, Michael Jordan and just how affronted he was by the thought that the team was going to tank. It just it just solidified in my mind that you are never, ever in a million years going to get players to go along with that. And in a franchise that is so dependent on feeling good about the players and feeling like, you know, the players who are here want to be here. It's it's just it's just too much to break that up. I think I just I just maybe logically like like Dan always thinks that the best thing is going to happen out of the best case scenario. So he always plans for like the very best thing that could happen out of each scenario. And I always think, okay, yeah, maybe there's a slim chance that that could all happen, but also things could go just as off the rails as you think that they're going right now. So I'm more stay the course. Well, this is why he thinks Anthony Simons is like a surefire Hall of Famer already. <laughs> Anthony Simons has it. And I'm doing like bunny ears. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, maybe he does. And, you know, I just maybe he does. So, okay, let's say let's say the Blazers made the playoffs. One, how do they make the playoffs? How do they, how do they fight back? You know, we don't know when Nurk was, was going to come back because he he really hadn't even started like practicing with the team. Uh, you got to be able to play five on five before you can play step on an NBA court. I mean, it's just smart. Um, they had all these injuries. How how do they fight back and make the playoffs? You know, if the, if the season restarts tomorrow, what's the path mm-hmm. to make the playoffs for this team? I just don't see it. I don't see who who steps up. Well, Nurkic was supposed to be back. Uh, they had announced the date that he was going to be returning. And we were all, you know, we all had that based circled on, on the calendar. Based on being able to practice, though. Based on them having announced that he was coming right. back. Like, right. they had announced it. So we're feeling like that was, we if could be pretty confident. If he wasn't on the court, I'd, I'd have to see it to believe it. I just have a hard time that he and his people would have announced that he was going to come back and then have him not come back. Okay. All right, Grant, I'll give you that. So Nurk is right? back. But I think the question is, was he going to come back with a big minutes restriction where he can only play, you know, a few minutes at a time? And, you know, how long was it going to take for the chemistry with him, with all of the new players? I think that was all really questionable. Um, When Damian was out and CJ was carrying the team, they did not end that um, that portion of the season with a winning record. But we saw a lot of promising things out of CJ. So I think if they could have very I think if they could have very quickly on the fly taken some of the things about what they learned about CJ with the ball in his hands um, as the primary playmaker, maybe taken a little bit of pressure off of how much Dame was playing, worked in Yusuf Nurkic. Also, Gary Trent Jr. continued to be on the rise and Anthony Simons was putting some stuff together as well. I'm not saying it would have been an easy road or that it was a given. And Memphis was also, you know, they held they held the lead. You know, it's like it's not like the suspension happened and they were tied. I mean, they would have have to have caught up with and and passed Memphis, who was having a pretty darn good year. But I just think that with um, I think they could have done it. I mean, I think they they could have done it because at this point, you know, Ariza. Carmelo Anthony, they weren't they last year when Ennis Cantor stood, uh, you know, took over for Yusuf Nurkic. I think part of the reason that was successful is because, you know, he knew exactly what he needed to do and he didn't try to do a bunch more. 
Ariza and Anthony were guys like that where they could do exactly what they needed to do in order to help Damien be his best and not try to do a whole bunch more. So I think they would have had a good chance. Okay, so Gary Trent, we we talked about Gary Trent when we handed out our grades for the season, uh, the last two episodes with with Danny and and Sean Hyken. And uh, we landed on Gary Trent potentially being the starter, a starter next year. And if they were to try to move CJ to get get some help, um, that he'd be ready to fill those minutes. Are, Are we too high on Gary Trent? So I think one of the reasons that uh, Gary Trent really caught everybody's eye this season is because everybody was at the beginning of the season was really looking at Anthony and Anthony was asked to do a whole bunch of stuff. He was asked to come on and be a ball handler and be a distributor, get his own shot, get shots for other people. He was asked to come in and do a lot. And, you know, without having had college experience, I think that was that was going to be a lot for one person to in their second year be able to just do right away. Gary didn't have those types of expectations on him and there really weren't. It was like, oh, maybe Gary can come in and shoot. And Gary did come in and shoot. And he also came in and started playing deep, you know, showed that he ha- had defense and that he could get his own shot. And I think that's why he caught everybody's attention is because he kind of came out of I mean, quote unquote, nowhere. I'm sure he wouldn't say that he came out of nowhere. He's been planning all his life to be in the NBA. But um, I think just because of the expectations were different from him. um, I don't know that that means that he is capable of, you know, being a starter and replacing CJ. And I'm not ready to talk about breaking up Damon CJ anyway. But I think Gary Trent was closing out the games. Let's just say that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I I think he's very good. I think he's probably ready for for more minutes next year. I mean, this is it's kind of the piece that they've always missed is a decent sized two guard. Yeah, I mean, kind of since, since I don't know what you think about the comparison, but kind of since Wesley Wesley Matthews, Matthews it's a perfect comparison. I mean, they're so similar. I mean, they're tenacious, got so much heart. They got, you know, uh, they're just not going to stop and just absolute confidence. Yeah. So. Where does this team go from here? Um, you know, I, I'm under the assumption that the season's not going to come back. Uh, so they won't be making the playoffs, though. You know, um, where do they go from here? Nurkic back to start the next season healthy. Um, but still some question marks. Uh, you know, Zach Collins missed an entire year of development, essentially, uh, at least on court development. I'm sure he's been, you know, working. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does this team look like next season? I mean, the, the West got better. Phoenix is going to be better. Minnesota is going to be better. Obviously, you got Memphis, you got New Orleans. Um, you know, is this team in that pack that's at the bottom of the playoff race or, or is it something different? I think they're a little bit higher than that. I mean, I think that this. I always I continually go back to the night that Yusuf Nurkic went down and. Uh, thinking right away, OK, that's it for next year. Because I just did not see how the Blazers could be everything that they were meant to be with Damon, CJ and Nurk, you know, without Nurkic. I couldn't see Damian being able to operate at his uh, fullest without Yusuf Nurkic there to clear path. It's incredible what Damian was able to do without Yusuf Nurkic in there this year. Um, and so I really never thought that this year was going to be that year anyway. 
And so, I mean, I'm looking forward to next year because we'll finally get the team that really they had been talking about, you know, with Rodney Hood and Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic in the lineup with Damon and CJ. And then they have Gary Trent Jr. and Anthony Simons. You know, whether what happens with Ariza and Anthony, you know, who knows, but they are finally going to have the starting five that they wanted from the beginning of this year. And so they're going to win the title next year. Is that is that what you're predicting? (laughs) I I don't know. I sure would be great. I would love it. But, you know, let's let's give it a minute. <laughs> let's yeah. see what I, they do in the offseason. I do think I do think this team healthy is is clearly a playoff team, definitely a top six level team. And when, when you've got Damian Lillard, you just need good players around him. And all of their good players, except for CJ, were out mm-hmm. for most of the season. Like, what were we supposed to take from this season? Like that, that Damian Lillard have- <laughs> is really good. I mean, I think that that's the one thing. There's there's a lot of, I mean, there could be quite a bit of finger pointing. Uh, in particular, I think CJ probably catches too much of that. Um, where where it's like, well, why didn't CJ McCollum step up and play a bigger role? And, 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 you know, he had a rough first quarter of the season or so. But he was pretty mm-hmm. good after that. Yeah, and, you know, I... When people ask about what did we learn about this year, I don't know that I don't think we learned anything basketball wise because we didn't have the actual team yeah. in. But we have not seen this team struggle with winning. And so I think one thing that we learned this year was how were they gonna how were they gonna handle that type of adversity? Was it gonna be too much for them, or were they just gonna keep their heads down and plow ahead and see if they could get through it? And it's weird because we don't know yet, you know, because it's been suspended. Like, I would have been really curious to see, like, what would have happened had they definitely not made the playoffs? Like, how would they have reacted to that? And I think from what we've seen with, you know, with Damian Lee's leadership, I don't think it would have been a problem. But we we don't know because they had never really been in a situation where they weren't successful. This particular, you know, they may have had bad weeks or whatever. But they've been outperforming their expectations for, you know, a number of years. Well, they've, so they've been the healthiest team in the league for a couple of yeah. seasons running. And the hope, I, I guess, internally must be, well, hey, at least we got all of our injuries out of the way <laughs> in one season. Right. Well, I mean, they've never they haven't. This particular team has not had to deal with that. And sometimes, you know, that could be bad. And like. They had to patch together a team, you know, with bringing in Carmelo and then, you know, trading for um, uh, Ariza. I mean, they they really had to patch some things together. And, you know, certain people thought that adding, you know, uh, people to the team was going to be rough and was going to be hard for the locker room. And was we're not sure whether or not the locker, how the locker room was going to withstand that. And I think. That we saw that, you know, with all the turnover, both at the beginning of the season and throughout the season, they still managed to stay together. You still didn't hear. And maybe it's because they lock things down. But, you know, we've got great reporters following the Blazers. And if they, you know, had been knowing if there was if there had been any strife or whatever, like things like that just never came out about the Trailblazers. And I choose to believe because there wasn't anything like that going on with the Trailblazers. All right. I just want to chime in yes, really Sasha. quick. I'm here. I like 
from from producing this podcast with Jason, pretty much like my impression of how Damian Lillard handled all of this was that the dude is cool as a cucumber. Like he obviously takes things personally and gets like, but I don't I don't see it as like a getting mad thing. It's more of just like taking it personally, wanting to do better next time. I think the turmoil of this season really showed like what a obviously approved like what a great leader he is and just ties into his whole like persona of being just like the coolest mfer ever <laughs> like just to tie it all into the shot wait are we not allowed to say motherfucker on the podcast i don't know i just didn't want to have to deal with the bleeps but now i do anyway so i might as well just say it i think it all ties in with the shot too because from the outside i mean i'm a lakers fan so like him hitting that right in paul george's face was just like awesome it was like a that was like a christmas present that was amazing i was like so i was beaming just beaming and he he is like i think one of the top guys in the league to be like somebody who's not a blazers fan like next favorite player Mm -hmm. like he's one he's in my top five favorite players he's not a laker he's probably never going to be a laker sadly but however amazing that would be he's still in my top five because he's he's just like incredible and he's just like universally loved, I feel like. Can, uh-huh. can I? So I think part of why he is this is because he internalizes when he has uh, critiques. He's looking for ways to get better himself. And he, yeah. he will point out and accept responsibility. Yeah. You're, you're never going to hear Damian Lillard say anything disparaging publicly about any of his teammates. Um, and this isn't to say that he doesn't, I, I don't know. And maybe I should ask Jason. Well, Jason multiple times said that he like with Hassan Whiteside, right. it was like way more of like a tough love kind of thing, but not where publicly. he had to chew him out. No, not publicly, right. but like a practice and in games. And too. I think that that kind of leadership, um, which is real leadership, right? Leaders lead. Um, they don't make a show of it. And I think that that's part of why that part of Dame uh, resonates so much with everyone. I'm not I'm not a Blazers fan. Um, I think I mean, Damian Lillard is one of my favorite players in the league, uh, partly because of that. Like it's 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 not a quiet leadership because I'd actually say Damian Lillard talks a lot. Um, He also just like does stuff to completely like seem like the coolest dude ever. Like he the wave, the photo of him in the huddle where he's just like looking at the camera so coolly. He is absolutely an iconic player. And we were kind of, this is where we got into our like, uh, would would they, would they not have kind of gotten into the playoffs conversation? But yeah, it would have sucked to not have him in the playoffs. It would have been sucky. We, it would have, have, have felt weird. So if the Blazers don't make the playoffs, uh, he should go to... The like Lakers maybe, wh- and no, then no. stop <laughs> any team but the Lakers. Can you um, cut that part out? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm in charge. The seed in the East. <laughs> he should go be on the eighth seed in the East because he could like, probably make should be finals. able to pick him up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It should just be like Damian Lillard. You, you get to, you get him through the playoffs and Dame would probably make a finals run in the East. Steph joins the Grizzlies. Well, that's not fair. Dame no. joins. You want the, the Lakers Hawks? to lose? I don't know. <laughs> you want the Lakers to lose? Wow. Oh, come on. 
You think that LeBron and AD wouldn't be able to get through John Steph Curry? And I mean, it would be Jackson. way tougher. Oh man, this is. But it's still this is a real hypothetical. Uh, this is all a, right. <laughs> so wait, can I add one thing about Damian's way out of this? Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Sasha? When I went to summer league a couple years ago, the like Lakers fans were. I was in my Blazers outfits, and people would come up to me and were like. Lakers fans would be like, we're going to take Damian Lillard. And I was like, what? Why are you doing this to me? I'm just standing here, like minding my own business. Why do you have to be so mean? It's also never going to happen. So it's just like those are just the meanies, because anybody who knows anything about Damian Lillard knows that he's not going to leave the Blazers. Well, one of the things that I always say is that if Damian does leave the Blazers, it's because it's our fault. Like we did right. something to make him mad. And like if we just do what we need to do as fans and be supportive of the whole team. And that's super important to him, you know, that, that we look at them as a team and not just him. Like one of the things when we were preparing for this podcast is you had said, like, what are some of the Damian Lillard's career um, playoff highlights? So I was looking through. And it was hard to it was hard to find a lot of highlights before, you know, the the 19 season. But one of the things that stood out in that season against Denver, that even though it wasn't an actual game highlight and get uh, Denver game six after they got the win and he was being interviewed, uh, they asked him about his leadership and he said, Immediately, like without even thinking about it, he said it takes a lot more than one person to lead a group of men. And then he called out like Evan Turner and Myers Leonard and their role on the team as being team leaders. And to me, that just like totally exemplified who he is, what his leadership is, helping everybody figure out what they're best at and then go out and be like super good at it rather than. What are you bad at? Let's work on that. So you hate it so much. You never want to do it again. (laughs) Like Damien is like, let's identify where you really thrive and make sure that you can do that as much as you can. And he identified Myers Leonard and Evan Turner as maybe not the people who are out there on the floor, you know, over the years doing everything that everybody wanted. But he really drove home the point about how important they were to them as a team. And that just. That just blew me away when he did that, especially in like the heat of the moment. I mean, Iconic playoff moment yeah, from Dave. Yeah, like, yeah. honestly, that's from so Dave? cool. You mean from Dame? Dame. <laughs> I, I do have many iconic playoff moments, but that was not one of them. Not but I know my next Photoshop today. for the group chat. For aye, sure. Aye, aye. No. Um, all right. Well, uh, everybody go check out Tara's podcast, Blazer's Edge. Just ignore Danny, though. That's the big thing. Always no, ignore Danny. No, you have to you have to listen to it because you have to admire Danny's growth over the last <laughs> two, several years <laughs> since he I was foisted upon him. So go I, back I keep, two years I, and I start keep, there <laughs> and then we're I used with, to bro. I used to podcast with him a lot um when I when I was first starting out. And uh I mean he still wanted to tank back then. I mean he's just wanted he just wants to tank. He, he's got it's the galaxy brand. He wants some babies. I think, I think that somewhat, though, simplifies who Dan is, because <laughs> I always look at it through the lens of the fact that Dan loves the team and wants the team to have long term success. And before I started podcasting with him, I didn't really understand that. I thought he just thought he knew what they should do and that they should do it. 
And the more we've been doing the podcast together, I, the more I realize that the reason he feels that way is because he truly wants them to have success. And in his heart, that's what he thinks the best route for them is. So it's been fun to just kind of like get to know him as a person and what his his point of view is. So, you know, if you ever came on and did a podcast with me, Dave, I'd get to know you, too. And I, I would unlock what it is that makes Wait, you special. I did your show with you. You forgot. It was so not special, apparently, that you forgot. It was one time. I mean, Dave, oh. I mean, Dave, it takes more than just like a I, one off. I get it. I get it. To really get to know someone. <laughs> Fair. Uh, all right. That's it for this week. Uh, go check out Blazer's Edge with Tara and Danny and, uh, you know, give us some good comments on iTunes and. Uh, and go watch the the shot on YouTube yeah. a million oh, it's times. It's from every angle. It's from so every much angle. fun. And we have I so actually, many angles now. While we were recording, I had it up and it was just up on a loop. <laughs> and I watched it like six times while we were sitting here recording. It's extremely inspirational. It's a great shot. It's iconic. Anyway, we'll talk hard. to you guys next week. Both teams play hard. God bless and good night.